Hello and welcome to another episode of Any Given Monday. I'm Hayden Adoni and joining me, Duncan Song. Welcome, Dunk. Thanks, Nads. Look, it's been a while, guys, but it's good to be back. We're well and truly into the NFL's offseason. Um, with not a great deal going on, we took a little bit of a break, but we're back with you now. We've got uh, what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks. We're just going to break down some position rankings. So we're going to go through all 32 starting quarterbacks. Uh, and then we're also going to do top five at every other position. So today we'll be doing the bottom eight quarterbacks. There's lots of talent in that group. Uh, and then we've got top five running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Uh, but as always, Nads, let's start off with some social media. All right. So, Dunk, I'm going to let you take this over for the start of it. So tell me, what's your love this week? Well, as you know, the Colts in the offseason, they, uh, they got rid of Ryan Grigson. And it had to happen. Uh, and I think the Colts are going in a much better direction with uh, Chris Ballard there. My, well, yeah, my social media love. Um, the Cleveland Browns have decided to add Ryan Grigson to their personnel department. Now, I think the Cleveland Browns have done a great job so far in this offseason, but I'm not sure this is one of their finer moves. But my social media love is Pat McAfee's response to this. Now, it's well-documented feud between Pat McAfee and Ryan Griggs, and the two did not get along at all. Um, quite the opposite, actually, that Pat genuinely hates him. Um, so Pat McAfee's response to the Cleveland Browns hiring Ryan Grigson and their Twitter announcing it was simply, ha, 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 ha. And I thought that summed it up brilliantly, uh, and I really quite liked that. Yeah, I must admit, I like it too. Um, if you look at what Grigson did for the Colts, I mean, like he pretty much uh, tore down an entire franchise and kind of left them with nothing. Um, so, in a way, I look at Cleveland and think, oh, okay, they've had a really good offseason, but this one move really could undo everything that they've done good. So, um, may- maybe he can be like the water boy or something. Just <laughs> I- I'd keep I'd keep him out of like the big analytical decisions. I think that's a good call. All right, Nads, what's your social media hate? All right, so I'm gonna. I just want to talk a bit, of, a little bit more about Ryan Pace, who is the general manager of the Chicago Bears, and we all know how he made a very controversial selection in the first round. He drafted quarterback Mitch Trubisky with the number two pick, trading up from number three. And there was an article written by Dan Wiederer. He's a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and it sort of. I guess in a way it highlights how Pace was in in, a, in a very much smitten with Trubisky. And I'm not going to go into the whole article because it's probably a good 10 to 15 minute read if you go through it. It's a really good piece by Weederer, so I highly encourage you to take a look at it. We'll retweet it on our social media 
um, sites, both Dunk, myself, and our Any Given Monday twi- uh, Twitter account Yep. Um, once our episode's up. So there's just a, f- a few things I want to highlight in the article. So for starters, um, Pace told Trubisky, look, we want, want to have dinner with you. We want you to organize the dinner. We want it to be very secretive, covert-like. Um, just, just keep it low-key. So they ended up um, picking a place called Bin 54, and it's apparently, according to Weeder, it's a top steakhouse in North Carolina's Triangle region. So the first thing that I absolutely love about this place is that for one of the, the, the premier top steaks, one of the filet mignon, which is an eye filler in Australia, it was about $39. And I mean, you try to get an eye filler in Australia for 39 bucks, and you, you can't do it. You have to pay about like 50 bucks at a decent steakhouse. So mm-hmm. the, that's the first thing I absolutely love about it. And then one of the things that um, Pace thought that was, I quote, cool, was that Trubisky made the reservation under under an alias. The alias was James McMahon. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I go out to a restaurant and I'm making a reservation and I say, look, I'd like it under Hayden Adoni, the waiter goes, Hayden what? It's like put an N, get some Scrabble letters together, and then put a Y, and then that's your name. Nah, uh, uh. So it's always Hayden Smith. It's Hayden Miller. It's never Hayden Adonis. That's just too damn hard. <laughs> now the the last thing I want to say about this was when at the end of the dinner they went out into the parking lot, exchanged pleasantries, all that jazz, say goodbye. And what happened was was that they saw um, Trubisky's car. And Trubisky's got one of those 90, 90, um, it's a beige Toyota Camry, and the odometer is north of 130,000 miles. And Pace, apparently, according to the article, was charmed instantly, and he was convinced that the ride offered insight into Trubisky's grounded nature. And I quote, keep that thing, man. Seriously, don't ever change. So I guess when Trubisky's late to training because his car's broken down on the freeway, we're going to know who to blame. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things. He hasn't been paid yet. Like, it's not like he's going to be swimming in money at that point. So it's kind of reflective of his means at the moment. But I, I tend to agree a little bit. It's the same sort of thing with Andrew Luck where he's still rocking a flip phone. For In fact, I think he still has a flip phone. I don't think he's moved into the smartphone era yet. Hey, I've got nothing against the flip phone. I've got nothing against the car, but the fact that Pace wants him to keep the car and to use it as his primary means of transport, that's just shocking. <laughs> I mean, you've got, like, you can even just catch an Uber. Well, yeah, that's it. Spot on. I mean, dude's going to have enough money. He can probably afford his private security guard and just get a chauffeur in a limo around for the rest of his career, you know? He's going to have oodles of money. Yeah, he's, he's not going to have to worry about money for the rest of his life. No, exactly. So early last week, we had one of our, our listeners um, on Twitter, his name's Stack Nova, and he messaged me saying, look, he really would have liked if both Dunk and I actually went and dug a little bit deeper into both the Raiders and the Colts draft, given that we follow them, and just wanted a bit of insight into how we thought that our two teams went in terms of the draft. So I figure that's a great idea. So Dunk, let's let's go into the Colts draft. Um, let's start at, at the top. We've got Malik Hooker, who was the first-round pick. What do you reckon? Look, I think going into the, the draft, he was consistently projected and mocked in the top 10. 
Uh, a lot of people had him going to the charges at uh, eight or seven. I can't remember which pick they were, but about there. Um, and occasionally even drifted into the top five. So for him to fall all the way to 15, um, I think the Colts got a steal. Now, I know that Ballard was uh, talking about trading this pick, trading down, um, but that was because he wasn't expecting Hooker to fall. So once Hooker fell, I'm very, very happy that they decided to take him because the value is too great at 15 um, to trade down when you've got a blue chip guy like that sitting there that's just fallen into your lap. Um, He's an absolute beast of a center fielder. His range is just incredible. Um, There are a few knocks on him, obviously. He's uh, only had one year um, at uh, Ohio State, uh, one year of starting. So not a great deal of tape for us to, to judge him on. Um, and he has a little bit of a inconsistency in his tackling, which is a little bit hit and miss, which is not ideal. But his main strength is just his range. He's just Ed Reed-esque. Lots of comparisons to, to the great ball hawk himself. So um, I think he'll fit into the Colts system, which I think they're shifting more towards that cover three. Um, and he's just going to be that perfect center fielder to just sit in the middle of the defense and just go sideline to sideline. Yeah, the guy's got range. I remember there was one play where he was more or less on one side of the field covering... Um, uh, I'm not sure if it was quarters coverage or they were playing cover three or he was single high. I, I don't remember. But I know that he was on the far side um, covering like that hash region and then he pretty much had to make... I, th- I think I tracked it at about 50 yards um, in terms of how far he covered... Um, and it was to the other, pretty much the other side of the field, going an extra 30 yards deep. I was very impressed, and he broke up the play. I was like, man, this guy can cover. So uh, I certainly think that there's a lot of potential there. It's just a matter of him putting it together. But in terms of the cover, the coverage that he has, you can't teach that. You can no. teach the other things. Correct. So I personally, I had him like, if not top five, definitely top 10 overall in my rankings. I think he's a steal for the Colts. Um, he might not have been a perfect fit in terms of what the Colts need a little more of. They probably need help to help out Andrew Luck a bit more. But, I mean, they need help on defense as well. So, in terms of talent, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, and I think the problem, if you're going to you know, try and pick the uh, nitpick the pick at all, um, it's the fact that we spent a second rounder on TJ Green last year who plays the same position. So, you know, you've now brought in this blue chip guy in Hooker, which, you know, what are you doing with TJ Green now? Now, he was dreadful last year. Um, but, you know, are you essentially riding off that pick now? Is Are we just saying that that was a complete dud of a pick and we'll, you know, move on? We've got Hooker now. As you say, it's not. it wasn't a position of absolute pressing need for the Colts. I mean, we just need talent on defense everywhere. Um, but safety wasn't a number one concern. Having said that, you know a top, a potentially top five guy to fall into your lap at fifteen, um, with no real, you know, either character concerns or glaring injuries, a la Ruben Foster. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's a no brainer. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Um, in terms of the next two picks, you also went defense. So there was Quincy Wilson, who was the corner out of Florida, and then they went Terrell Basham, who's the defensive end. He's the edge rusher out of Ohio. Um, is there anything that you really that stood out for you in terms of those picks at all? Um, I like I, I really like the Quincy Wilson pick. Um, 
we have obviously Vontae Davis playing corner on one side of the field. Um, it, we've, we've had problems constantly trying to find somebody to play opposite him. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we've got Darius Butler who can go in the slot as the, the nickel corner. Um, but we never had that stud outside guy. We had Patrick Robinson and he was serviceable, I suppose you would say, but he was never, you know, the guy that was taking the pressure off of Vonte. Um, and I think Quincy Wilson fills that hole. Um, he's a really big guy, great in press coverage. Um, I think he's going to fit in really well. And I think he'll be the starter day one opposite Davis. Um, so I really do like that pick. Um, as far as Basham goes, I, I, to be honest with you, going into the draft, didn't know a lot about the guy. Um, since I've watched a little bit of his tape, read a bit about him, I'm actually kind of happy with this pick. Um, I think he's got a lot of intangibles that, like you say with, with Hooker, that you just can't teach. Um, he plays at 110% every snap from the, first, like from the whistle to the whistle. Leaves nothing um, on the field, just gives it his all, which I, I think you need that. Um, particularly on our defense that's just been kind of stale and it's aging and there's just not that energy and that passion and that, I guess, uh, commitment to just go and go and go, even when you're fatigued, even when you're exhausted, to just keep giving your all. So I think bringing that um, is a huge plus. But just generally, our defense needed to get younger. It really did. It was aging. You know, we've lost guys like Robert Mathis, um, and we haven't been able to, and, and Dwight Freeney before him, but we haven't been able to recreate their production consistently. So you can see that, you know, Ballard's strategy has been, let's bring in guys, let's bring in a lot of depth, bring in a lot of competition for spots to make sure that when you're on that field, you're giving it everything because you know that the guy behind you is breathing down your neck. And we may not have the out and out star names anymore, but we've got a lot of good, solid starter level players that give us plenty of depth so that when the starters come out of the game, you've still got quality players on the field. I think having these rookies in that environment is going to allow them to grow and develop uh, and, and get that sort of help from the, the seasoned veterans that are playing around them. Yeah, I've got one stat that in, uh, sort of raised eyebrows to me. Do you know how many interceptions the Colts had last year? Just off the top of your head. No, uh, not, not many. Right, yeah, it was um, second worst in the NFL. They only had eight for the entire season. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in a game where turnovers are a massive a, a massive talking point, I mean, a- Andrew Luck has a propensity for, like, for turnovers. He tends to be intercepted quite a bit. He's never really now, been able to... We're going to open a whole can of worms here, Naz, and I no, really no, don't no, want no, to no. have this argument because we'll save it for when we get to these <laughs> rankings. But I just want to just cut that out right now and say two things. Number one, that's a product of, first of all, we're always behind. So he's always having to throw the ball and the defense knows he's throwing the ball. And number two, we run a ridiculous number of seven-step drops, and I really don't know why we do, but we have done. Um, and a combination of that and a pretty average offensive line is going to lead to picks. Yeah, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not getting into the can, uh, the can of worms right now. What I was trying to say was that in a in a game of um, 
like the NFL relies so much on a turnover differential. So when you tend to have many, if you look at the top teams in the league, their turnover differential is always in the positive. Yep. Whereas you look at a team like the Colts, you had Luck, which who threw like quite a few interceptions over the course of his career, but they're not able to generate turnovers no. on defense either. Not so, really. at le- okay, so barring the stuff regarding Andrew Luck, at least if you can force a few more turnovers yourself, it's going to mean that you're going to have a lot more opportunities to at least be in games as opposed to getting blown out. Correct. And I think it's just, you know, it wasn't, for, for me, looking at the Colts, it wasn't just a, a case of, you know, we are a pass rush away from being a really good defense or we are a an inside linebacker from being a really good defense. Our defense stunk in, like, every facet of the game. It just stunk. You've got guys like, you know, Vontae Davis's stats, if you will, for last season and the year before aren't that great. But no, I mean... I, I don't rate Vontae Davis. I thought he's... Like last season, he showed that he was past it. Well, I don't think that's entirely fair, and this was the point I was going to make. He can't cover guys forever. When you've got no pass rush, you can't expect him to cover guys forever. So it's it's kind of yeah, that fair call. that like the, the, it's all linked. So when somebody else is letting, you know, when the pass rush isn't getting home, your DBs are going to look worse because guys are going to get open eventually. Vice versa, if your DBs stink, it doesn't matter how good your pass rush is. If guys are getting open in this first, you know two, three seconds, the ball's getting out early and it's it's the same way. So I think the problem is the Colts' defense was just bad across the board and it all played off of each other and the few good pieces that we had, they weren't able to really thrive because the, the personnel around them were really letting them down. So I love what Ballard has done. He's gone, all right, we need to fix that uh, defensive side of the ball. We're going to go for a... I mean, there's quality in there, but he's very much going for the quantity approach and going, all right, we're just going to throw a whole bunch of guys in. There's going to be lots of competition. They're guys on good deals um, with with a point to prove, and they're going to fight it out for who wants to be the starters. Yeah, the thing I like most about what the Colts have done is that, okay, they've brought in a lot of, uh, I would call them B and C graders. I don't think there's many no, like I agree. standouts. I agree. You've got like guys like John Simon, Jabal Sheard, um, they're, they're, the, um, I thought the big one was Jonathan Hankins. He yep. he's he's a pretty big signing, but I guess I don't I don't know. Like they're good contracts, you know. They're not elite yeah, players, no, they but are, they're, they're on they're, really good deals. They're on good contracts, so you haven't overpaid, which means you're going to be able to get rid of them yeah. early. All the all if, the guaranteed money be. is early, so if the first season is crap, you can cut them, and there's no real consequence. Exactly. So I certainly think from that regards, they're going to find who sticks and then they'll be able to build off it. Yep, exactly right. All right, let's keep moving. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. So the next few picks I want to talk about are Zach Banner, um, Marlon Mack and Grover Stewart. So they were the fourth round picks. So we'll start with Zach Banner. So he's an offensive tackle out of USC. He is a monster, man. He's 6'8", 350 pounds. Like, just a huge, huge dude. Um, he's an absolute beast in the run game. Like, great run blocker. A little bit, you know, questionable on his pass protection. But I just want to talk about the Colts' offensive line a little bit. Because everybody's saying, you know, the Colts' offensive line is terrible. It stinks. Andrew Luck, you know, he's under pressure all the time. And that's true. Last year, the numbers don't lie. The, the Colts' line sucked. Um 
and Luck was consistently under pressure, being hit, knocked down, sacked. But towards the end of the season, the line came on a little bit. So you've got Anthony Costanza at left tackle. He had a down year last year, but he's a serviceable left tackle. I'm not going to say he's a, like one of the best in the league, but he's serviceable. You've got uh, Jack Muhor at left guard. I rate very highly. You've got... Um, Ryan Kelly, who was our first-round pick last year at center, he's never given up a sack. There's a little stat for you. Um, And then on the right side, that's where we've struggled. So it's been a combination of um, LaRaven Clark, Joe Haig, uh, and a couple of other guys sort of drifting through there. But towards the end of the year, I thought the line, it tidied up. That last three or four games... The right side in particular started to get themselves together and they were looking okay. So I don't think going forward it's going to be as bad as it has been. Um, and with the quality of linemen in this draft, I didn't have a problem with the Colts not reaching for one early because I really didn't think the quality was there. Having said that, you still need to bring guys in. So I do like the fact that we're still going, okay, that's an area of weakness. Let's bring in another guy. Let's see what he can do. Our run blocking last year wasn't great. We ranked 22nd in yards per attempt. So we needed a little bit of help. Um, But obviously, I don't think his pass protection is good enough to be a starter this year. But in the future, definitely. Do you expect him to play tackle or guard? He seems like he's just too Uh, big to play tackle. Yeah, he'll play. I, I think he's been brought in as a right tackle. You as a right tackle, geez, yeah. I, th- I I was under the impression that they would shift him across to guard. He's just such a big man. Yeah, I I think he'll play tackle. I think I could be wrong though. Okay, and um, what's your thoughts about Marlon Mack? He's the running back out of South Florida. Now I love this pick. I think I think this is my favorite pick of the entire Colts draft. Um, it, it's between him and a guy that we haven't talked about yet, but we'll get to. So Marlon Mack was my number six running back, if you guys recall, in our previews before the draft. Um, So for the Colts to get him, I think, is a huge deal. But this is the reason why. Marlon Mack is everything that Frank Gore is not. So now we have this complementary backfield of the two that do completely different things. It gives the offensive coordinators flexibility to do what they want with the running game. I've got a stat for you here, Nance. Last year... The Colts' offense was last in the NFL with only four runs for greater than 20 yards. Only four, and it gets better. Andrew Luck had three of them. So if you take Jeez. Luck out, we had one running back with, tw- with we had sorry we had one run of 20 or more yards. Yeah, that's just yeah not. Good it's enough. not good, right? So you're constantly we we never get those big chunks on the ground. If you flip that and then look at Marlon Mack, Marlon Mack had 15 rushing touchdowns last year for South Florida. Six of those 15 were greater than 43 yards. So he brings that explosive big play element that our running game just hasn't had. And that's why I think it's a perfect fit. He does everything that uh, Frank Gore is no longer capable of doing. Um, And I think those two are going to work really well together. On top of that, Mac has a arguably future Hall of Fame running back in front of him to just sit and learn behind and absorb as much information as he can. So I think it's a great fit. I think it's a great situation for Mac to prove himself, um, and I think the Colts' offense will benefit from it. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more balanced and um, balanced approach in terms of the running attack. I don't see Gore being 
Um, yeah, thousand yard back this year. I think Mac's going to dig um, quite deep into his touches. Yep, I agree. Um, the other one in the fourth round, Grover Stewart. Just going to go over quickly. Uh, defensive tackle out of Albany State again. It's another one of these. You know, the Colts needed help on defense. Let's bring in another lineman. Let's see what he can do. Um, I don't think he'll play much of this year, really. He might drift in and out here and there, but he's certainly not going to start. Um, but he does have potential as the nose tackle in the future. So I think, you know, we're a little bit of a bit of future planning here from Ballard. Okay. Um, lastly, we've got two picks in the fifth round, and the Colts draft finished a little early. It finished in the fifth round. So um, tell us, uh, what do you think about Nate Hairston? And then we've also got... Um, Anthony Walk Jr., he's the inside linebacker out of Northwestern, who is an absolute man-child. Yeah, so I touched on it before that I hadn't got to... I, I was debating between Marlon Mack and one other for my favorite pick, and Anthony Walker Jr. is that other guy. He was my number five inside linebacker in uh, my pre-draft rankings, um, and for the Colts to get him in the fifth round, I think was brilliant. Um, it's a position that we needed help in, Um that's why I was so high on Reuben Foster uh, early on. I was just adamant that we were going to take him if he fell to us at 15, but I would never saw him slipping this far as he did. But with all the stuff that came out in the pre-draft and then Hooker still being on the board, I'm okay with them not taking him. Um, but I just think, you know, we we needed help inside. We've, we're pretty much before the free agency uh, acquisitions, we're running with, you know, um, Edwin Jackson and Antonio Morrison, who I doubt any people who aren't Colts fans would even have a clue who they are. Then <laughs> um, they were okay, but they really weren't great. So I mean, bringing another guy in and a guy that I rate really highly, um, I I just love his character. His work ethic is immense. He's a great teammate, great leader, very intelligent guy, both on the football field and off it. Um, and as you say, he's a big boy. Um, I, I just love that pick. I cannot fault it, particularly in the fifth round. Um, feels a need. Uh, yeah, can't speak highly enough of that pick. So it's, it's between him and Marlon Mack as my favorites. Okay. Um, Nate Hairston, corner out of Temple. He's, I don't know. I'm, I mean, you're in the fifth round, so you're not really going to get blue chip guys anymore. Um, I'm a little bit unconvinced by this pick. We'll have to wait and see. I know that he's a. I did. I again. I didn't know much about him, but from what I've read since, um, he used to play as a wide receiver. So it's going to take a little bit of time for him to adjust to the other side of the ball uh, and learn the nuances of it as he moves up to the NFL. But look, in the fifth round, you're not expecting to hit on every player. They're not all going to become studs. If he can come in and do a job. I think uh, the Colts should be very happy with it. No, I, I agree. You've summed it up really well there. Uh, for the, In terms of just an overall view of the draft, I think we did really well. I think, you know, there are a few picks that you sort of go, okay, maybe not exactly what I would have done, but I see the thought process behind it. I like the fact that we had a strategy and we stuck to it. Um, I like the fact that, we were happy to tailor it a little bit. So when, when hooker falls, you don't go, well, we were trading down from this spot. So, you know, we're going to keep trading down, even though hooker fell. I like the fact that we were able to adjust and, and um, change our game plan up. 
Um, we filled a whole bunch of positions of need. We've got a whole bunch of young talent on defense now. I, you can't really fault it for Ballard's first draft. I mean, there's not a lot more he could have done, really. Yeah, no. Uh, like I said, you summed it up really well. It's it's a well... I'm not sure... I wouldn't call it a balanced draft. But no. it's, it's certainly a draft that addresses a lot of the deficiencies on the team, which... Um, and they've grabbed some fairly decent talent in the spots that they drafted them. So it's hard to be upset as a Colts fan. Correct. All right, let's move on to the Raiders, shall we? All right, Nad, so we're done with the Colts recap. Let's move on now to look at the Raiders draft. So I'll be really interested to get your thoughts on uh, some of these picks in particular. But let's start at the top. First round pick, Gary and Conley, cornerback out of Ohio State. What are your thoughts? All right, so this was a little bit out of left field. I didn't really expect the Raiders to draft um, Conley. He wasn't really on my radar. I guess at the same time, though, um, if you go back a year, Carl Joseph wasn't really on my radar. And then the more I looked at the pick, the more I thought, hmm, okay, that fits, that fits. And he does this and he does that. And Okay, I can, I can see the fit. Um, in hindsight, I'm seeing the same with Conley. So the more I've read about Conley, um, the more I've understood that a lot of draft scouts saw both Conley and Lattimore as a bit of a 1 and 1A type of situation with how they ranked the cornerbacks. And I think what's really telling regarding Conley was that, for starters, I'm I'm fairly sure he was one of like the top leaders on the team. Um, I'm... I don't want to say that he was a captain, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was a captain on the team. So there's leadership qualities, I know that for sure. Now, regarding Conley's talent, um, if you look at the way that Ohio State schemed their defense, especially last year when both Lattimore and Conley were on the field, Conley was asked to do more. So he was on the outside and he took... uh, the majority of snaps against the number one receiver on the opposition. And then during the year, um, their slot corner got injured. So they slid Conley into the slot when they went into sub packages as opposed to moving Lattimore. Um, so I certainly think from a versatility standpoint, Conley is going to fit really well in the Raiders' D. I know that if you look at the Raiders' defensive backs who they've got at corner they've got steve's not steve smith sean smith um who's he's a very long and lanky corner he looks more like a linebacker than a corner and you've got david amerson who's a hot and cold kind of guy if he can if he's able to find some consistency he would be a really really good cornerback in this league um but they needed someone to cover the slot i mean dj hayden got abused time and time again um, over the four years that he was there in Oakland, and he's now moved on to on to Detroit. So he's the Lions' problem now, and they've they've still got T.J. Carey, but he's look he's a nice a nice uh, fourth corner back to have. He's not someone who I probably want as my as my slot on a full time basis. Um, but I really like the pick with Conley. The only concerns are obviously the the criminal charges potentially that are hanging over his head right now i mean i don't know enough about what's going on and quite as a matter of fact i don't really think that um there's a single person 
like in the media, at least on the record, who knows what's going on. So it's very hard as a fan to give an educated guess. Um, I think when it comes down to it, I find it extremely hard to believe that the Raiders would have used a first-round pick um, on a player had they not felt very comfortable with the situation. So assuming that he gets cleared, um, they've got a player in the late part of the first round who, in my opinion, is as every bit as good as Lattimore and is definitely they've underdrafted him if that makes sense. Yeah, look, I mean, I had him as my number two cornerback behind Lattimore, but as you say, it was very much a one and one A. Um, from and, my, oh, no, go on. From my point of view, you kind of touched on it a little bit. There has to be a guy or a group of guys in that Raiders player personnel scouting department who love Conley because if these criminal charges actually pan out and he does jail time, the people that were pushing for him to be drafted are so fired it's not funny. Yeah, they'll be in deep, deep strife. So they they have to have loved what they saw to justify taking that risk. And the logical deduction from that is that he's going to be a heck of a football player if he gets on the field. Yeah, and I mean, the, the fact that he's so versatile, it's just going to mean that they're going to be able to play a lot of match-up football. And the Raiders have stressed match-up football pretty much throughout this whole offseason. Um, and they, they needed secondary help, and he was pretty much the best um, the best defensive back um, on the board at that time. So I can certainly see the benefits of the pick. I think the one question mark that you could have was why didn't they draft someone like a linebacker earlier on, such as Reuben Foster, who was available was still there. there. Yep. Yeah, um, I think the only thing that I can say there is that the medical and the character concerns are that they mustn't have um, uh, penciled out, I guess. Yeah. Um, because on talent-wise, I, I think Foster's an immense talent. But, I agree. Um, like, many teams passed on him for a reason, so I'm not going to single out the Raiders and say, oh, okay, well, you should have drafted him because you could pretty much say that for every other every, team in the league. Literally every team. Exactly. They, they haven't drafted him not because of his talent, put no. it that way. No. All right, let's move on. Uh, pick two, Obi Melifonwu, safety out of Connecticut. Now, this guy, athletic freak. He jumped out of the gym at the combine, nuts. Yeah, look, um, it, all in all, the guy, you, you look at you look at the athleticism of him and it just jumps out. And I, I'm, uh, it's, it's hard to describe because Melifonwu is one of those guys where he looks like an absolute gym rat. Like, the, the arms on the kid, in terms of the way he's built, he's built like a, a brick, man. But he's got the athleticism and the tape of his actual film, it doesn't really... It, it's not bad. It's it's pretty bloody good. Um, and I know that Ian Rappaport, he tweeted about the Raiders potentially having even used their first-round pick on Melifonwu. So they definitely liked him. Mm-hmm. Now, I spoke to a few people, and one of the biggest things that they're going to use Melifonwu for is covering the tight end. Since Jack Del Rio has been head coach, so the last two years, they have struggled immensely to cover the tight end. It's just, you look at who they've got in the in the AFC West, they've got Travis Kelsey, um, they've got Antonio Gates, they've now got also Hunter Henry, and... Um, 
I'm jeez. Oh, was when did Julius Thomas? Um, did he join the um, the Jags in 2016? Or was he was he still there in Denver in 2015? Because if like my, the point is that they ha- they've had like tough tight ends for the past few years, and it's not getting any easier because Kelsey and Hunter Henry are the future of yep. of the position in the NFL. So they really needed someone to to match up there. Now Carl Joseph is a very good cover uh, cover safety. From a point of just being able to man such such a big tight end, Carl Joseph is too small. He's he's my height. He's about five eight, five nine. So he he's not tall enough to be able to go up and and hack it with like the six five tight ends in this league. Yep. Um. So that's where Melafonwu is going to come in. He's pretty much just going to be asked to stick on the tight end. Now another thing that I really like about the pick is if you look at the way that the Raiders are built. They've already got two solid safeties. They've got Reggie Nelson there. They've also got Carl Joseph. I've been watching a lot of film lately, and Carl Joseph has really... He, he's, he stood out for me the last... Um, I'm, I think so far I'm up to about week 12 of um, the season, and he has really stuck out like a sore thumb the last month or so as to how good he's playing. So I certainly think that the Raiders have a gem there at that position. As for... Um, the way that I see them using Malafon were the Raiders don't have enough linebackers. So the way I see them using Malafon were I expect them to plug him in as a as a pseudo linebacker, similar to the way that Arizona used Dion Buchanan. Yep. So if you look at it, I call it a big nickel. So they'll be playing three safeties instead of two linebackers. So they'll be playing one linebacker, three safeties, one being Melifon, who comes in and plays as a second linebacker in the nickel. Mm-hmm. And that way that they're still going to have their speed on the field. They're not going to lose any size because Melifon is so big. Yep. So it's going to allow them to play match-up football. And I really think that he's got a, a, a big, broad scope of talent to work with and his potential's off the chart if he puts it all together. I, I totally agree. I actually really like this pick. Um, had him very rated him very highly uh, in the, the lead up to the draft. In fact, I had him I think three, no four. Sorry, I had yeah, him as my fourth, fourth safety behind Buddha Baker. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I remember looking. I remember looking at my phone. I was in a in a like a botanical garden sort of thing. Um, following the draft when round two came around and I was sitting down and the Raiders were on the clock and I was like, this pick better be Malifonwu because he was, to me, he was hands down the best player on the on, on the, the board. board at that time. So I was wrapped that they got him. And yep. the, the more that I look at the fit in terms of how they're going to use him, the more I, I think it's a really good fit schematically. I mean, he's just going to go on Travis Kelsey and he's going to stick with him all game. And if you look at... Um, the Chiefs, in terms of how they they run their their offense, it's pretty much they use Tyreek Hill and they use Travis Kelsey. They're not going to have Macklin anymore, and we'll get to that later. But the Raiders need to shut down at least one of those. So if they can shut down Kelsey, um, that's going to go a long way to potentially winning the AFC West. Given that the Raiders and Chiefs are going to be more or less thereabouts um, come the business end of this season. Yep. All right, let's move on. Third round pick, you had Eddie Vanderdoes, defensive tackle out of UCLA. What can you tell me about him? Look, he's 
he's one of those enigmatic players. So I think if you look at him based on his film only, you're looking at a guy who probably should have been taken a little bit lower. Um, he was about 340-ish pounds during the season. He couldn't keep the weight down. And then he went and lost some weight over after his final game of the season. And he's pretty much gotten himself down to about 299 at the moment. So at the Pro Bowl, not the Pro Bowl, at the Senior Bowl, he was looking like a different player. Yeah, he was killing it at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, he had agility. He had speed. He really did look like someone who you think, geez, okay, there's something there to work with. And based on that, I certainly understand understand the pick. Now, the big the big thing for me is he lost his weight when he went to Exo Sports Institute. So it's a performance, um, high performance center. And I look at, at Exos, and if you look at the Raiders strength and conditioning department, the majority of their strength and conditioning guys, um, before they were hired by the Raiders, used to work for Exos. So you can guarantee that the Raiders have an idea as to how he got the weight off and how he's going to keep the weight off. Then the last real concern you have is he did an ACL a couple years back. Um, There are some rumblings that he's not, he's still favoring it a little bit and that he's not back to 100%. Um, I can't really comment on that. I haven't watched enough of him. Um, But I certainly think that if he can keep the weight down and he looks and plays like the guy at the senior bowl, the Raiders are going to have better than third round production out of this guy. I think you've, you've summed it up pretty well. My first instinct when I saw this pick was that it was a reach. Um, and I think, as you said, if you look at the film, uh, he looks like a reach at this spot. So... Mm. At really all you can go off at this point is his film and his college production and I, I'm going to say that it's a reach but as you say there is the potential that if, if we get you know senior bow at Evanados that he is a third round pick or greater so the potential is there but on just an objective summary basing it off the evidence that we can the only evidence we have at this point I'm going to say that it's a reach yeah look uh, not, I, not a huge it, reach, but yeah, time, reach. time will tell. Yeah, it's, exactly. Um, we'll have a much better idea after the, after at least his rookie season. I mean, the the Raiders needed a guy like Vanderdose on the defensive line, and uh, I certainly can understand the pick. I mean, if they had gotten him later, I would, I probably would have preferred that. But I mean, um, it, it reminds me a lot of when they selected Mario Edwards. Um, Edwards had very similar concerns to Vanderdose and Edwards has turned out pretty good and he's going to be one of the the top players for the Raiders um, on the defensive defensive side of the ball moving forward so if Vanderdose ends up along those lines I, I certainly think that it will be a win for a win for Oakland Raider fans now let's move on so we've we're going to the other side of the ball now so I want to talk about our fourth round pick he was David Sharp He's a, a monster out of um, an offensive lineman from Florida. So he's apparently going to be... Uh, he's getting reps right now at right tackle. 
And if you look at how many players the Raiders have getting reps right now at right tackle, I think there are about five of them that could potentially start. So you've got Marshall Newhouse, who's been getting all the work with the first team, and then you've got a slew of other guys. You've got Denver Kirkland, Vidal Alexander, Austin Howard, and David Sharp. So it's surely one one out of the five is going to have to work. It's law of averages, you'd think. Um, but in terms of Sharp's potential going forward, it's pretty much just a case of stabilizing the offensive line. Um, I don't think that he's going to start this year, but I could certainly see them using him in... Um, as a eligible receiver who stays in line, um, they used a lot of six six linemen um, last season, so I can certainly see them doing the same with Sharp as a sixth lineman this year. Um, Mike Tice, who's the Raiders' offensive line coach, is a very very solid um, guy at getting or developing talent. So I certainly think that Sharp has a lot of talent there, but. It's just a matter of the Raiders' lines, in my opinion, it's the best in the league. So it's hard to find a spot where he's going to fit on it right away. And being a fourth rounder, they, they've got enough time that they can just sit sit on him and develop him for the time being. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add to that at all. I think uh, similar sort of deal, you know, with, with a guy like Jalen Ware, who we'll come to in a minute, that sort of, he's got no pressure to be put in and, perform straight away and he's going to have to shoulder a huge load um, so he can sort of learn, develop over time uh, and, and improve his and, and, and master his craft. Now, let's move on to your fifth round pick, Markel Lee, linebacker out of Wake Forest. All right, so there was an interesting article written by Ted Nguyen. Um, if, you, if you don't follow him on Twitter, um, you should. Not just for his Raiders stuff. He posts a lot of stuff that's really good in terms of how he sees the game conceptually. Um, he's at Raiders Analysis. So he posts some really good articles that he writes himself. A lot of video breakdowns of certain plays. It's, it's really good. You really should check him out. And, and he, his opinion is actually that Mark Lee is a better linebacker than Zach Cunningham, who was drafted in the second round for um, the Houston Texans. So uh, there's not really much to say about Lee. Um, they needed an inside linebacker because... Desperately. The, like, they more or less have no no player at that position. Um, I'm like, I, I don't really... I'm indifferent about this pick. I look at Lee and I think, okay, look, there's a lot of... A lot of talent to work with. He reminds me a bit of Dante Hightower in that he's going to be able to blitz quite a bit. He had, like, I think, seven and a half sacks this, um, he's seen, uh, this past year. So he's going to be able to rush. But he's also... Look, they've, they've talked about how he, he lacks a little bit of coverage skills, but I've watched some tape in which he's had to... He's faked to blitz and then he's come down in a cover two where he's covering like the, the middle of the field, and he's looked all right. So I don't know. Maybe there's there's something there. Um, I probably I will be surprised if he starts, but at the same time, it, I won't be surprised because the Raiders are so desperate to like need someone decent at that position. So it, it, it's, a, it's a wait-and-see process. I don't Mate, anybody he... with a pulse could get on the Raiders' defense at inside linebacker at the moment. Exactly. So... Um, I'm not sure if he'd be starting that he will have 
earned that position, but I mean, let's wait and see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, when you're getting into these later round guys, as we touched on with the Colts a bit, it's very much a wait and see. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's lump. You had four seventh round selections, so let's lump them all together. So we've yep. got Shalom Luani is a safety out of Washington State. We had Jalen Ware, an offensive tackle out of Alabama State. Elijah Hood, running back out of North Carolina, and Trayvon Hester, defensive tackle out of Toledo. Okay, so I'm, I'll start off with Luani. So Luani, he, he's, he was called a football-playing Jesse by general manager Reggie McKenzie, and I have no idea what a football-playing Jesse <laughs> I was going to ask. I, I have no idea. It's, um, apparently, down south, you ask who the football-playing Jessies are to the coaches, and apparently, Shalom Luani is one of them. So, look, on tape, the guy's got immense ball skills, but it's really his tackling is so-so. So uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be a matter of can he cover and is he going to be able to contribute on special teams? If so, he's going to make um, a spot on the roster, no doubt. The next one, you've got Jalen Ware. I think he's a practice squad candidate at the most. Uh, very Extremely raw um, and given the depth on the Raiders already in terms of their offensive line, I don't see him sticking. Um, I think he'll be a practice squad guy. Elijah Hood reminds me of Marshawn Lynch in the way that he runs. Um, A power back. He had a down year last year, but prior to that, he was looked at as one of the better running backs um, coming into the the draft class. So I'm interested to see how he goes. I I certainly think there's going to be scope for him. It's going to be a matter of how they can actually fit him on the roster because the Raiders... They, they have quite a few running backs there already. They've got Marshawn Lynch. They've got Jalen Rashad and DeAndre Washington. None of yeah. those three are losing their spots. They've got Jameez Olawali, who's the fullback. He's not losing his spot. And then they've got Taiwan Jones, who's one of their ace special team like guys. He's more or less one of the top two special teamers on the roster. So I can certainly see him sticking around. So I'm not sure how they're going to be able to fit um, hood on the roster I'm thinking maybe a practice squad but at the same time if he looks really good in in training camp and in preseason maybe another team wants to take him off the practice squad so it's it's going to be interesting how they go in terms of the final cuts I'll be staggered if he doesn't make the roster though last one is Trayvon Hester um, I'm pretty sure if like he's out of Toledo so it's a, it's a small school um, had very, very good ta- um, film there, but I mean, you're at a small school, so you need to be you need to be stepping out. Um, he's a guy that's going to be interesting because I certainly think that he's a little bit of a steal. I think he could have been drafted a little bit earlier for sure. Um, he's going to compete for depth. The Raiders' defensive line needs depth. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. I think as long as he's got his head screwed on, um, I think he's got a pretty decent chance to make the team. Well, I think you've, you've pretty well hit the nail on the head with all of that. Um, I don't have much to add in terms of the Raiders draft, so why don't you give us an overall recap like I did with the Colts? What are your overall thoughts? Are you happy with it? Where could it have been improved, etc.? 
Okay, I probably would have liked to draft a linebacker a little bit earlier, but that being said, they drafted Melifonwu, who I see them using in a big nickel, so I like that from that perspective. They addressed a number of needs that were needed, and if if you look at it, Reggie McKenzie has been hell-bent on always drafting the best available player, not necessarily a need pick, and I think that he's gone for that um, in this draft. I... I think it's very hard to give grades um, this early, but I like the rationale behind every pick. So I, I understand the rationale. If it doesn't work out, so be it. But I, I'm not going to fault and like have a real crack at the picks themselves today because I think um, on it's too face, early. yeah on face value they look that all the picks are sound. Um, there's no one that I look at and think, oh geez, he shouldn't have been picked. Um, yeah, let's wait and see. Let's wait till the 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 cleats are cleats are on, the helmets are helps helmets are on, and um, they're flying around in the Oklahoma drill. All right. Well, that wraps up our Oakland Raiders and Colts uh, draft recaps. Uh, let's move on to our position ranking, shall we? All right, guys, so with not a lot happening in the off-season, really, we've decided that we're going to do some positional rankings to give you guys an idea of what we think um, the positions look like heading into the next season. So we've ranked every quarterback, sorry, every starting quarterback, I should say, from 1 to 32, uh, and we've also done top fives for each position. Now, Nads and I haven't talked about this at all, so we don't know what the other person has got in their rankings. So... Over the next four weeks, we're going to be going in groups of eight quarterbacks, starting from the bottom and working our way to the top. Uh, and we're going to do top fives in various positions. So today we've got the bottom eight quarterbacks uh, from 32 to 25, and we've got the top five running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Now, we don't think there's going to be a great deal to talk about with the quarterbacks, so we're going to leave them to last. So we're going to start with the running backs. So what we're going to do, Nads, I'll read you my top five, then you give me yours, and then we'll talk about it. So my top five, uh, number one, really shouldn't surprise anybody, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, then number two, David Johnson from Arizona. Number three, I've got Zeke from the Cowboys. Number four, LaShawn McCoy. And number five, Devonta Freeman. Okay. Uh, similar, um, number one, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, number two, LaShawn McCoy. Number three, Zeke Elliott. Number four, Jay Ajayi. And number five, David Johnson. Okay. So we've got we've got a few similarities there, but we've also got, got a few differences. Um, look, let's start off by talking about the biggest discrepancy that we have. Um, you've got David Johnson as number two. I've got him at five. I just think... I think the guy is just an all-round freak. Um I, I can't remember the exact stat. I think he had 15 straight games last season with 100 yards from scrimmage or more, which, you know, he, he does it all. He, he's a threat out of the backfield, catching the ball. He's a threat running the ball. He's a threat on special teams. I feel like the guy just can't really do any more. If you're talking as an out-and-out out runner, okay, maybe I can see an argument for him not being number two, but as the overall package as a running back, I think his production speaks for himself. Yeah, look, I mean, I think when I looked at these running backs, you're splitting hairs quite a bit. Oh, for sure. 
I look at Johnson, I probably could rate him at, at number three or even number four. Um, I, I don't see how I could rate him above LaShawn McCoy. I think LaShawn, uh, to me, LaShawn McCoy is a complete running back in the way that the style that he runs, the way, um, the way he gets the yards. But from a stat, if, if you're looking at the stat sheet only, you could probably have David Johnson as number one on this list. Um, I look at someone like uh, he. He reminds me a bit of Charlie Garner. So that's that's a blast from the past yeah, when um yeah when Garner was with the Raiders and how Garner used to get close to a hundred catches in a season because Rich Gann kept throwing him checkdowns and David Johnson reminds me a lot of that style. But uh, I mean. Look, it's pretty. It's pretty hard to differentiate these top guys. I. Th- it's good that like we both see. Um, what do you call it, Zeke, at number three, and you've also got Le'Veon as number one. I don't think that Le'Veon being anything other than number one really could be debated. No, nah, nah, that was a no-brainer. Um, who'd you say was your number four? Number four, I had Lashawn McCoy, and I just want to ask you a question, just on him. Do you think Lashawn McCoy in Buffalo is better or worse than Lashawn McCoy in Philadelphia? Um, jeez, that's tough. I think LaShawn McCoy had his best season in Philly. Um, that was going back, I think, under the when he was with Chip for a year. Let me just—I'm gonna bring this up. I just want to bring up LaShawn McCoy's stats. Um, I'm bringing them up now. My. My understanding was that he had his best year in Philly. Yeah, he did. Um, you, you go back 2013, uh, 1,600 yards, an additional 500 from um, in the air. Uh, last season, he still managed thirteen, like just under 1,300 yards with another 350 in the air. Um, so I, I certainly rate him. And just just the oh, way he runs. No, I agree, is. and I think this this is the the reason I asked the question because I yeah. think I think Philadelphia Lashawn McCoy is better than Buffalo Lashawn McCoy, and if I was ranking Philadelphia Lashawn McCoy, he probably would be number two on this list. But because I don't think he's quite as good as he was back in Philly, I've just knocked him down a few spots to number four. Well, what's what surprised me when I was doing these rankings was the amazing yards per carry that McCoy has. He, oh, yeah. av- he averages 5.4 yards per carry and he's had 234 carries last season. So, like, that's a phenomenal number. I don't care how good Buffalo's offensive line is. They've got Richie Incognito, who's one of the, the better um, guards in the league. But even so, that number is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I think, again... These are the best of the best here, the top five. As you said, it's very much splitting hairs. Um, but for me, I just thought he's not quite as elite as he used to be. That's not, that's not a slight I guess, on him, I guess we'll, really. I, but. I think had McCoy not had such a good year last year, I'd probably agree with you. But he just he stood out to me too much last year to... Um, yeah, to not to not be number two for me, but I, look, it's a matter of opinion. I mean, the the other difference that we have is that you've got Devonte Freeman in there. Yep. I've got Jay Ajayi. Now, now 
I had Freeman ranked number eight behind also DeMarco Murray and Jordan Howard. So certainly you rank Devontae Freeman a lot higher than I do. Yes. Now, I had, just to clear the record, I had JJ at six, so he's not that far out for me. Okay. Um, Jordan Howard, it's it's kind of a little bit of, is it a once-off, you know, like one-hit wonder kind of thing? I want to see him do it again. Um, is the reason that he wasn't higher. DeMarco Murray, I struggled with where to rank, where I was going to rank him. I think I suffered from a little bit of the same deal as with McCoy in that um, DeMarco's season in uh, Dallas where he was just absolutely elite um, kind of, I guess, overshadowed him a little bit in terms of production last year, even though I know he was number three in yards. Um, so, look, I, I'm in, in retrospect, may have been a little bit harsh on Murray. Um, but for Devonta Freeman, again, it is a case of, I think he does it all. Um, he's obviously a good runner. He's fantastic out of the backfield uh, catching the ball. Um, and I think he, he was actually quite important to that uh, Atlanta offense and the way that they ran it. Um, and when I say ran there, I mean ran the whole offense as a scheme, not ran the ball. Um so I thought, you know, his production's been very good, uh, and I thought the multifaceted strengths of his game being catching the ball out of the backfield and running the ball, he deserved that spot. But having said that, that spot was the biggest question mark for me because, as you said, Jay Ajayi was there, DeMarco Murray was there. I didn't actually have Jordan Howard in that discussion, but they were my three that I was going back and forth between. Yeah, look, for me, Ajayi got, like, he stood out because of the simple fact how he had a few games when he just exploded. And by exploded... Oh, yeah. 200 plus like, yards a game. 200 plus yards. And he did it more than once. And then he pretty much, if you look at the rest of his season, it was still like very, very solid. So... I think he's someone who I can actually see in Miami under Adam Gase going up another notch. Um, I think there's a lot of scope to work with. And if you look at the running backs in the league that we've got right now, you look at Bell, McCoy, and Johnson especially, those guys, are like even DeMarco Murray, they're very established. Um, we talk about running backs having a very small life life expectancy or um career in the league but you look at bell mccoy murray uh even freeman and johnson those guys are going to be around for like they've been around the block for a while at least a few years and they show no signs of slowing down they're going to be here for at least another three or four so i'm starting to question whether the the idea that the running back is just a by committee system where Look, if you don't have one, okay, it's okay. You just use like your system where you have a few running backs and you go like that. But if you find like a bell cow, like your Adrian Peterson type, um, you're going to have them in there for the next six to eight years, which is pretty much how the running backs have like 
pretty much everything before the 2005 onwards has been. So I think we're starting to re- um, revert back to that system. Yeah, I, I, I think there's merit to that. Um, I think you're actually kind of spot on with that. Um, all right, well, let's keep this moving. Shall we move on to the wide receivers then? I think we've pretty much wrapped up the running backs. Unless you wanted to talk about Zeke. No, I don't need to talk about Zeke. We know how good a talent he is. He's going to be there. He's going to be on this list for the next like five years at least. Yeah, I think so. All right, so wide receivers, Nads. Uh, I thought there's there's going to be a bit of room for discussion here. Um, there's a there's a lot of good wide receivers, so narrowing it down to five is really tough. But number one, I've got Julio Jones. Number two, Antonio Brown. Number three, AJ Green. Number four, T.Y. Hilton. Number five, Odell Beckham Jr. All right, so mine are pretty similar too, mate. So we've got number one, I've got Julio Jones. Number two, I've got Mike Evans. Number three, I've got Antonio Brown. Number four, I've got Odell Beckham. And number five, I've got AJ Green. Interesting. So the big points of contention really seem to be uh, Mike Evans and T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, I mean... Mike Evans, to me, he could have been number one. I rank him so freaking highly. He makes Jameis Winston look like a good quarterback. <laughs> so I guess I guess that's almost a preemptive um, where I, I put Jameis in our, in our quarterback rankings. Not that I'll be discussing him today. He's better than the, um, the, bottom, the bottom eight quarterbacks. But Mike Evans, he single-handedly saved my fantasy team last year from coming last. <laughs> I know that much. You know, I traded um, I traded Matt Ryan for Mike Evans, so I was pretty pretty, high pretty bloody. Yeah. I was I was pretty happy that someone actually agreed to that trade, especially given we're in a a, a keeper league, uh, a dynasty league, and that Evans is going to be around like for like at, at a high level for the next like five years at least. So I'm pretty wrapped about that, but. Look, um, to me, Julio, Mike Evans, and Antonio Brown, they're three guys that are in a league of their own. To me, regarding um, wide receivers, they all offer something a little bit different. Um, I, I think Antonio Brown is the most polished out of the three, but I think that Julio is more brilliant, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I agree. Um. With regards to number four, I had Odell Beckham Jr. And the guy, as long as he keeps his head screwed on straight, he's going to be a Hall of Fame receiver. But the problem with him is that he's such a hothead. And I'm pretty sure he's going out with Iggy Azalea now. <laughs> so, you know, like we all know what... life it, choices. Is that what you're saying, Nads? Look, I'm not, I'm not well, saying no, that's that. That's what you just said. Don't, don't quote me. I didn't say questionable <laughs> life choices, but... Apparently, he's missing OTAs, and one of the reasons is because he wants to spend more time with Iggy. And uh, I'm not I'm not sure that's uh, uh, oh, the, the best thing that... So, what you, what you, you mean you to say, Nads, is that it's a questionable life decision. Well, I, qu- I question him <laughs> choosing to spend more time with her over spending time with his teammates. That's, that's my question. Okay, okay. Look, um, I think... I I was umming and ahhing as to whether to put Mike Evans in at number five because I was umming and ahhing whether to drop Odell Beckham out of the top five. And the reason I say that is because you know how you're talking about how Antonio Brown is the most polished and but but Julio is the most brilliant. 
I see Odell Beckham and I describe him as the most spectacular, if that makes sense. He's very, very good at making just ridiculous plays that nobody mm. else is capable of doing. Completely agree but there. I don't think he's the most polished overall receiver to the point where, as I said, I was considering dropping him out of the top five, but I thought that might be a little bit harsh. Um, for Mike Evans, again, I agree with you. I think he makes Jameis Winston look a lot better than he is. His numbers are freakish. 96 catches, 1,321 yards, and 12 touchdowns. He's been in the league for three years. He's had 27 touchdowns over that time. He's only missed two games in his career, and he's had three years where he's had over 1,000 yards receiving, and he's only 23. Um, If he's not in your top five, I reckon he will be eventually at one point. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in there at the end of the year. Um, Yeah. I probably I don't have a problem with him being in your top five. I probably wouldn't put him ahead of Antonio Brown in any discussion. But other than that, I don't really have a problem with it. Um, the reason I've got T.Y. Hilton in there, other than the fact that he led the league in receiving yards last year, um, he just kind of quietly goes about his business and is largely underrated by most of the NFL, I think. Um, I don't think he's better than Julio Jones, Antonio Brown... AJ Green, obviously I've got them all ranked ahead of him, but I think he's well and truly in the discussion, and at least it's justifiable for him to be in the discussion. I think, I could be wrong, but is it the last four years with over a thousand yards receiving? Is that... I, th- I think that's yeah correct on TY. I just, I want to get back to Antonio Brown quickly and say the only reason that I had him number three and not higher was because of that hideous haircut that he's well, got. Well, then Odell Beckham should be just, just... out of the list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Odell Beckham's too cool for that, though. <laughs> In my mind. Yeah, look, I think T.Y., obviously I'm a bit biased as a Colts fan, but I think his production has been fantastic. Um, there hasn't been a great deal of it. I mean, obviously he's got Andrew Luck throwing him the ball, but his supporting cast in terms of receiving talent hasn't been stellar. And when he has had talent, they're very rarely on the field. So... You know, he's getting all of the focus from the opposition defense. We've not had a run game, so it's not like they had to worry about that. So I think to still have that production um, deserves to be in the top five. No, you, you make some really good points there. To me, I, I guess with Hilton, I I don't know. He To me, he's just like really good, but I don't consider him great, I guess. I also look at his numbers and think they're partially they're overinflated because they have no one else really on offense that helps him out. So he is the focal point 100%. So I think with a more balanced offense, you'd see his numbers would revert back to the mean a little bit. But well, you, we're splitting here. We really are. As I was going to say, like, no. I, it's a fair call to make, but there's no guarantee like he he can only do what he can do in the situation that he's in so exactly but yeah no i agree all right so tight ends um for me there was this was probably the hardest one to rank because i didn't feel like there were just standout talents that you you know that were just like no-brainer picks like Le'Veon bell is number one at running back so it's a little bit more difficult for me to to order this Um, but what I've got at the moment is number one, Rob Gronkowski, number two, Travis Kelsey, AKA mini Gronk, 
Number three, Greg Olson. Number four, Tyler Eifert. And number five, Jordan Reed. Um, but I want to throw in the caveat of... I, I will be... I wouldn't be surprised if Hunter Henry is in this top five by the end of the year. But I don't know how big of a role he'll have with Antonio Gates still bouncing around. Yeah, look, we're going to have some discussion here. So my rankings are number one, Travis Kelsey. Number two, Greg Olsen. Number three, Rob Gronkowski. Number four, Jimmy Graham. And then number five is Tyler Eifert. And my, I've got two honorable mentions to... Um, bring out and they're Jordan Reed and Delaney Walker as well so I think both of those guys on any given day maybe if I was in a different mood I probably could have stuck them in there as well but um, I think the big one that we have to talk about is our discrepancies regarding Gronk. Okay so we've clearly got the top three as the same top three we've just got them in a different order why I think most people would probably side with me and say that Gronk is the best tight end. So why do you not have him ranked number one? Okay, so there's a, a probably maybe two or three different reasons. So number one, I want to talk about his production in relation to what Travis Kelsey did last year. So last year, Travis Kelsey got 1,100 yards and... 80, 85 odd catches thereabouts. How many? Yeah, 85 catches. He got four touchdowns. Now, you look at what Greg Olson's done as well. He's done more or less around 80 catches a year, 1,000 yards, between six and seven touchdowns per year the last three years, though he was down. He only had four last year. Um, you look at Gronk. Gronk's best season was back in t- 2011. Um, he had 17 touchdowns and 1,300 yards. Now, that's just ridiculous for a tight end. Mm-hmm. Now, my big issues with Gronk is that he only played eight games last year. He has not played a full season since 2011. He has missed... He missed... Oh, jeez, how many? He missed nine, nine games back in 2013, and he's missed one each in 2014 and 2015. So... Look, on t- pure talent, he is number one, and it's not even close. But from a production, because he is unavailable, um, I just I can't rank him number one because the guy is just not not reliable enough to be on the field. Because he's had back surgery, it's a big deal. Um, Whenever, whenever you start to have surgery on the back, it's more... I'm not going to say it only goes downhill from there, but your athleticism and your um, your youthfulness, I guess, it, it starts to decline. And Gronk's going to be able to get good numbers in terms of just being able to out-muscle guys because he's so damn big. But it's certainly a cause for concern because the guys the guys miss too many games it's it's that simple um i tend to disagree on the basis that yeah well i i mean i can't disagree with the fact that he's missed games because he has and he's missed a lot of them right i i just can't argue with that what i can argue with though nads is that even with missing all of those games he's still been not only purely from num from a numbers point of view, 
he's still been ridiculous. So if we take, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, you know, 2011 where he was just insane. We'll, we'll put that to one side. But he was a monster, 1,300 yards, 17 touchdowns. That's ridiculous. Um, 2013, I think you said, was the year where he missed nine games. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah he, he's, he's obviously not going to lead. When, you, when you're missing over half his season, you're not going to lead any statistical category. Well, when, when he's played a whole season, he has been dominant and he's been the number well, one. Well, that's the thing. And... 2014, led the league in yards and touchdowns. Yeah. 2015, led the league in yards. I think he was second on touchdowns behind Tyler Eifert. So even missing games, he's still beating, like leading the league in statistics. And the other reason that I've got him in, at number one, just him being on the field means the defense has to act differently. They have to come up with a way to, to shut him down. Right, If they don't even try, he's just going to destroy them. So they've got to do something which takes the pressure of the rest of the Patriots' offense. And I don't think any other tight end on this list has the same effect that Gronkowski does. I'd agree with you from the, in terms of how many, um, I guess, uh, what, could you, what could you say? In terms of the way that they go about having to scheme for Gronkowski, he's definitely number one. I think in terms of getting production out of him, as long as he can stay healthy, if he's on the field, he's your number one. But because the because he's injured half the half the time and he misses many games, I can't list him as number one. But I mean, I, from a pure talent perspective, like I've said, I'd have him as number one. Okay, all right. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I think the the other um, difference that we've got is I've got Jimmy Graham yes. and you have uh, Jordan Reed. I Reed. do not have Jimmy Graham. Um, no, I have, I have, yeah, Jimmy, yeah. I have Jimmy Graham. You've got Jordan yeah. Reed. Yeah. Um, look, this is another back to the LaShawn McCoy discussion. If this was Jimmy Graham in New Orleans, he'd be number two. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, just don't no, think he's been the call. same player he's been in Seattle as he was in New Orleans. Now, last season was definitely better for him, um, but the year before that, he was not good. Like, he was not the same player he was in New Orleans. I don't have the numbers up in front of me. I've got the numbers. Okay. I've got the numbers up. So, yeah, 2015, he played just 11 games, 600 yards, and two touchdowns, and he killed my fantasy team yeah. because I drafted him. Yeah, high. so, I mean, um, that's not standout tight end. Now, last nah. year he was significantly better from memory. Yeah, last year he had 923 yards, six touchdowns, which was ahead of Kelsey. It was ahead of... Um, Greg Olson and touchdowns and an equal yep. yeah and an equal Jordan Reed now again um, Jordan Reed did not get on my list because he's averaged look he missed four he missed seven games in 2013 he missed five in 2014 he missed another two in 2015 he missed four in 2016 so on average he's missing more than a quarter of the season yep which it's not good you know no, that's not good. Whereas you look at Jimmy Graham, he's missed a total over one, two, three, four. He's had seven years in the league and he's missed one, two. He's missed seven games. Yeah. Oh, look, you know, the Jordan Reed one for me, it was kind of a. It could have been anybody. It could have been Delaney Walker. It could have been, as I said, Hunter Henry in a year's time. It could have. Heck, I could have made an argument for Cameron Bray. Really? Yeah, fair call. Um, I just thought that Jordan Reed had the most... The runs on the board, to use a cricket analogy. I feel like he's done the most out of the group that I was discussing. Um, 
to, to take the number five spot. I'd probably have Delaney Walker would have been my alternate if I was to swap him for anybody. It probably would have been. Yeah, Delaney I rate Delaney Walker a lot. I yeah. mean, um, he, he just out of sheer longevity, he's been a pretty decent tight end. He's obviously now that they're actually using him properly in Tennessee, his his ranking is going through the roof. Uh, his numbers, like before he went to Tennessee, his career high was 344 yards. So um, since he's gone to Tennessee, he's had 571, 890, 1,088, and 800. So he's certainly being used more Better. in yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and they love their tight end. Um, he certainly gives Mariota a, a really good um, platform to work with. All right, guys, so as you guys have probably seen floating around the internet at the moment, there's a lot of uh, player rankings going around. We know there's the NFL Top 100, uh, Pro Football Focus are doing their Top 50 players. Um, so we decided we'd do a little bit of a rankings thing of our own, um, but we're going to focus just on quarterbacks. So what we're doing, we're ranking every starting quarterback from 1 to 32 uh, over the next four episodes, and we're going to start at the bottom today. So we're doing quarterbacks 25 to 32. Um, and we're basically just giving you guys an insight as to what we think of these players um, and how we think they're going to go next year. So that's the the caveat on all of this. It's ranking them how we think they're going to perform in the next season. So it's not what they've done in the past. It's not what they were at their best or what we think they'll be at their best. It's how we think they're going to go next year. So Nads, why don't you start us off? Who are your bottom eight starting quarterbacks? Okay, so in at number 32, we've got Tom Savage of the Houston Texans. 31, Blake Bortles of the Jacksonville Jaguars. 30 is Jared Goff of the LA Rams. Um, 29, we've got Trevor Simeon from the Denver Broncos. 28, we've got Brian Hoyer, uh, San Francisco, 49ers. Had to had to guess for a second. Yeah. <laughs> That's how irrelevant these guys are. Yeah. Um, yeah, number 27, we've got Cody Kessler for Cleveland Browns. Uh, 26, Josh McCown for the New York Jets. And lastly, is number 25 is Joe Flacco of the Baltimore Ooh. Ravens. Jeez, we got some talking points, my friend. Indeed we do. What do you got? All right, well, I've got it slightly different. Uh, number 32, I've also got Tom Savage, which should surprise nobody. Uh, 31, I've got Brian Hoyer. Number 30, I've got Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, 29, Jared Goff, 28, Josh McCown, 27, Trevor Simeon, 26, Sam Bradford, and 25, Blake Bortles. You rate Blake Bortles that high? Really? Well, mate, he's still in the bottom eight, and it's it's like he's not getting out of it anytime soon. I, the people <laughs> below him are like just career backups and just complete garbage. So, I mean, he's not exactly an elite company. Oh no no, we're talking about absolute rubbish, really. I mean, I in could, terms of if I, if you want a quarterback, you, you don't want someone from this. No, level. you're staying well clear of these guys. These are guys. Look, guys like you know your Brian Hoyers, your Josh McCowns, your or to a lesser extent your Trevor Simeons. You're happy to sit them as your backup quarterback, right? I'm happy to have those guys as my backup. I sure as hell don't want them as my starter though. If they're my oh, starter, we've got agree. problems. 
Yeah, ma- major problem. Yeah, look, now, Bortles, I feel like he's done a little bit better than the rest of the guys on this list. That's probably the main reason I've got him higher, um, and I think he will be better than these guys next year. Um, but look, mechanically, he's still all over the shop, even after putting in a lot of work on it in the last season. Um, well, it's it seems like every year... Um, they talk about Black Bortles and the, the word coming out of the Jack Yuar's camp is that he's improved his mechanics. His mechanics have been completely like rebuilt. We've, we've improved him. He's going to have a monster year. And then like it turns to like, crap pretty quickly. Yeah, and it really does. I, I thought that in 2015 he had a really, really solid year. And then for whatever reason, he just... He, he didn't translate it over to 2016. Um, that, look, I mean, he's not the only one that we can talk about that has issues here. Oh, I mean, yeah. You, you, like, you've also mentioned Mitch Trubisky. So, for instance, I don't think Trubisky's going to start. Okay, so you've got Mike Glennon as the starter. I've, yeah, I've got Mike Glennon right. um, as the starter over Trubisky. I don't think Trubisky's going to start, at least not early on in the season. Okay, I could, I could see that. I could see maybe come down the last you know half dozen games maybe after the bye depending on I'm not sure when Chicago's got their bye but you know look it could it could go south for Chicago but at the same time they've invested a lot of money in Glennon so they might be inclined to at least give him the entire season and let Trubisky sit yeah I mean there's a possibility in that I would have been inclined if that's their plan though I wouldn't have drafted Trubisky at all because the, the quarterbacks oh. coming out next year are way better yeah, and we've discussed this ad nauseum, really. Yeah, but I just said um, that kind of... That's the only reason I really had Trubisky on the list instead of Mike Glennon was because I thought it just didn't make sense to them to use that... Not only to use that pick, but to trade up to take him. Yeah. Look, um, hypothetically, if um, Mike Glennon, like, he was penciled in as the starter over Trubisky, where would you... Would you have Ooh. Glennon in this bottom eight? Um, okay, well, I'd have him ahead of... Savage, ahead of Hoyer, ahead of Trubisky, ahead of Goff, uh, ahead of McCown, ahead of Simeon. Actually, I'd probably have him ahead of all of this group. He'd probably fit at uh, well, what would become 25 if you slot out Trubisky and put him in. Okay. He'd be at the top of this group of eight, Yeah, I think. Yeah, that, that, that sounds pretty fair. I'm, I'm not going to... Um say where I have him ranked yet because that's yeah, the next still in episode. Your rankings, but yeah. yeah, it's um he's still in my rankings, that's for sure. Now I also want to talk to you a little bit about Sam Bradford. Yeah. You've got him in the bottom eight. Yeah, look, now when he came out of Oklahoma, I was actually really high on Sam Bradford. I thought he was gonna have a great Everyone was Yeah, I thought he was gonna have Everyone a great career and it's just it hasn't panned out. Um and I'm not really convinced anymore that he's an NFL caliber quarterback. I mean, he's had a rough time with injuries. Um, and he's had a few, you know, situations where he may, some people might say he hasn't had the greatest of talent around him, but I still don't think he's panned out to be anywhere near the elite quarterback that everybody had him pegged to be. And I don't think next year is going to be any different. I think he must be one of the smartest people in the league at being able to maximize his value because without a doubt, he's been in the league for like seven years now and he's he hasn't done anything to show that he's a franchise quarterback. He's not going to be uh, your number one, like Aaron Rodgers type quarterback. It's not going to happen. Um, it's 
it's one of those cases where people are almost general manager getting get sucked in to Bradford hoping that they sign him and he'll discover his talent. Yeah. It I actually you know, I, I might get it, your it, thoughts Nads on um the trade the, the Vikings trading for Bradford. I said at the time I thought it was a horrible move and I'll say that right now. Um I think it was an, like one of one of our good friends Dylan he's a Vikings fan and uh, it was very much an insurance trade. Um given that Bridgewater injured himself at uh it's not not the not the most ideal time let's say that no so they had pretty much invested the whole off season into improving like the offense with teddy and then what they did is to hot to trade a a high pick for bradford um what it means is that they couldn't install their offense in time so they were moving on the fly so for your first few games, Bradford looked pretty good because there's no tape on him in that offense. Yep. So he's going to look a lot better. And I, I remember even watching the first few games, he was throwing it around to Stefan Diggs and they looked all right. As soon as the tape got on him, he was he was a wash. Not to, not to mention their offensive line was terrible and they've tried to fix it partially this offseason, but it's still nowhere near going to be good enough. Um he he threw over seventy percent completion rate, and it was the highest recorded in NFL history. So he's throwing. Like that being said, he's not throwing many deep balls. So you have to take everything into consideration. Um, I think what you're going to see at the end of Sam Bradford's career is a guy who was almost there. Yeah, he was almost a good player. He almost made all the throws. He almost got that touchdown. But at the end of the day, the guy has not been able to win in this league. Yeah, I I totally agree. I I feel like just going back to the trade, I feel like it was an interesting one because you know the strength of the Vikings team is unquestionably their defense. All right, but at the same time, they didn't strike me as a team that was a quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl. That's because they're not. Exactly. So <laughs> why do you then mortgage your future on a guy that's not going to win you a Super Bowl off his own bat? It just it, it didn't really make sense to me. Uh, and as you say, well, the first couple games, it looked like it was going to pan out beautifully. But once they got some tape on him, um, you're right. It, it just it fell away. Um, okay. I've got a theory on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you, you, want the te- you want the team to be competitive, right? But you need the team to be more... like as more competitive than ever when you've just opened a brand new stadium. The Vikings opened their new stadium last year. Yeah. It was their first season in it. The last they've got a number of primetime games. The last thing you're going to want is to go into that season um, with like the third string or your backup who's useless as the quarterback. They needed a big name and they did it. I don't think it was necessarily a football move. I think it was more a PR stunt, and now they're stuck with him. Well, I was going to say, I feel like that. Yeah, there might be some more merit to that than as a football move, but I still don't think it's the uh, the right decision long term. You know, the old oh, the old adage: short term pain, long term gain. We're in, you know, short term pain, long term pain in this situation. Yeah, and it reminded me a lot of the Carson Palmer trade to Oakland. Um, Back in 2011, I, there are a lot of similarities there. Not Oh, Carson Palmer was a much better quarterback than Sam Bradford. 
Oh, no, I agree there. But the idea, um, the principles behind both trades were the same. A quarterback got injured. They were going to be out for a while. They Both teams thought they were contending. Yeah. Um, the difference was with Palmer, he came in midway through the season after coming off the couch, whereas Bradford had been in Philly um, working pretty much working the preseason there. So it's, it's one of those that they're going to look back and they're going to realize, look, in hindsight, we shouldn't have done this trade. I think they're because already I mean, thinking that, my friend. Oh, no, exactly. And if you look at it, had... Look, you know, they went 7-9 last year. You probably could have gone 7-9 if you really went run heavy and really tried to use a, a backup quarterback like Sean Hill to some very some very simple concepts. They probably even could have gotten to 7-9 had they played really conservative and um, like used their D because their D is very their good. Their D is very good. Very, very good. So... They probably could have gotten to the same record anyway without yeah. needing to trade such a high pick for Bradford. Now it's not as it's not as pretty of a way to do it. Oh no, of course not. But you know, e- even so, let's say that they absolutely bombed last year. You know, they didn't make the trade and they would have just bombed out. Yeah. How many? You're looking at probably a top top five pick. You know. Mm. So, who could have? They, they could have drafted some uh, pretty good player there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So would you, ra- would you rather Bradford or would you rather someone like... A, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say Trubisky because I don't think they would have drafted Trubisky, but would have you rathered another, like a, someone like a, a, a Lattimore or a, um, an, an edge rusher to go there and even help out that defense even more? I, you know? I would have... I'm... You know me. I'm strongly in the camp of you draft talent, not yeah. reaching for quarterbacks and so on. So I'm firmly in the camp of they should have kept the pick and used it on a, a talented player at whatever position that ended up being. Um, I, I just don't see the value in reaching for quarterbacks if they're not there. Because Heck, They could have even drafted Corey James. Uh, not Corey, Corey James. Davis. Corey Davis, yeah. Corey Davis, and given well, given whoever the quarterback was, another another decent receiver to go to because they've got nothing. No, they really don't. I mean, Stephon Diggs has been okay. Adam Thielen, is that how you pronounce it? I can't remember. Yeah, he's Thielen, he's yeah. come along a little bit, but they're not exactly you know stud wide receiver number one. Yeah. No, and Rudolph never really got going as a tight no. end. He had one good year and then got his nice contract, and he's been pretty average since. At the same time, it's a bit of a case of well. The, the quarterback play hasn't exactly been good. I mean, no. for, for all intents and purposes, you know, Bridgewater hasn't exactly been a star quarterback either. So it's not like he was... I think the expectations on him were overhyped oh, going yeah. into the season before he injured himself anyway. They definitely were. I think everybody had higher expectations for Bridgewater than they do for Bradford. Um, for sure. So you're right there. I want to just shift focus a little bit here. There's one other name that I really want yeah. to talk about. Jared Goff, because I know everybody talks about Jared Goff and Carson Wentz and who's better and who's going to be better. Give me your thoughts on Jared Goff. We'll leave Carson Wentz because neither of us have him in this group of eight, but Jared Goff. Yeah, look, Goff is a guy who he, he made a lot of good throws when he was at Cal. So he was hyped up pretty much from the start um, of that season as being a number one pick in the making. 
And for the most part, he looked pretty good. He had his moments where he did it wasn't quite clicking. Um, he came into the, the season with the Rams and he looked completely unsure of himself. That's what I took away from it. So I watched a fair few of the Rams games because I had... Uh, I wanted to sort of see what like golf was all about. And I saw a guy who looked scared in the pocket. I saw a guy who um, mechanically got broken down under pressure. Um, I saw a guy who was off timing with his throws as much as you could possibly be. And I saw a guy who did not look anything like a, even an undrafted player, let alone the number one pick. I don't know what has happened there, but it's like he got stage fright. Well, look, I, I'm, I've got his game logs up in front of me here. So he started the last seven games of the regular season. I think that's, yeah, seven games of the regular season. How many points do you think the Rams scored? Like, what was the most points the Rams scored in one game in those last seven games? It, it, I can't imagine it being over 20. It's 21. Yeah. Uh, but let me read. Yeah, let yeah. me read through these. So they lost... 14-10 to Miami, then they lost 21-49 at New Orleans, then they lost 10-26 at New England, 14-42 at Atlanta, 3-24 at Seattle, then they lost 21-22 versus San Fran, and then 6-44 versus Arizona. So, you know, in a, in a lot of those games, you barely they're barely getting over one touchdown. Yeah, and they're not even competitive. Nah. So, but... You know, I mean, you, you lost to San Francisco. Yeah. At home. <laughs> At home. Um, yeah, it's it's sad that the Rams are in Los Angeles because um, uh, they're, they're a joke of a team and it's a shame that Los Angeles have had to um, endure 20 years of being out of football and then being gifted back. Such a horrible team. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see Goff getting any better anytime soon is the other thing that concerns me because, again... He doesn't have a lot of talent around him. In fact, this whole Rams roster doesn't have a lot of talent, really. You take out Aaron Donald, and they're really scraping the yeah, bottom of the barrel. There's not much left. Um, so, I mean, I can't see him. Even if he improves, he's not going to get any help. No, I, look, they're really banking on Gurley getting back to form because he had a pretty good 2015. He did, and not a and, very good and, uh, 2016. Yeah, it was horrible. So, if, if he can get back to form, that at least gives Goff an outlet... Um, to work the work the offense through. Yep. But um, look, it's, it's one of those where I could definitely see if Goff does not take a significant leap going into his third year. Um, so, well, do, oh, I do can they, certainly see them. Do they cut ties with him and, and cut their losses? I don't think they'd go. I don't think they'd go that far. But I can certainly see them giving him competition in year three. So right now, it's a given he's going to start no matter what this year. Yep. But come year three, if if he st- if he puts in another stinker, um, in twenty seventeen, come twenty eighteen, I would suspect that they're going to be considering if there's a quarterback like, for instance, let's say they get the number one pick, and Sam Darnold is there. Yeah. And Sam Darnold, for let's just say he has another ripper season, USC go to the the final four, um, the college football playoffs, and which is, well, I wouldn't surprise me this year. So. And then Darnold is a Heisman candidate, and he's declares for the draft. If you've got the number one pick, you could, as the Rams, you could easily consider drafting 
Darnold and saying, okay, we're going to bench, we're going to bench Goff, or you can even potentially try to trade Goff to someone. For instance, look, dare I say Cleveland? Vish. Well, oh, I, look, I'm, I, I say Cleveland because Hugh Jackson would have taken him number one as well. Uh, I, I mean, we can probably tee this up a little bit. You've got Cody Kessler in this group, don't you? I do, I, yes. I don't, so <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about him too much. But obviously I have him higher ranked than Jared Goff, so I feel like that would be a downgrade for the Browns. Oh, I, th- I think it would be a downgrade as well, but I think um, it's something that you've got a lot of offensive coordinators, a lot of head coaches with offensive minds that they they have a massive ego on their shoulders and they like to... You, you find that these top picks get a lot of second and third chances because the coaches are convinced that they they're can... They're the ones that's going to fix him. They're the one. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be the ones that are going to return this guy to greatness, to return the guy to what everyone thought they were going to be as opposed to who they are right now. Yeah, look, I don't want to be, you know, a negative Nancy too far. Um, and look, it's very early days. He's only had seven starts, but from what we've seen so far from Jared Goff, it's not been promising. He's got a long way to go. I want to shift just to one more name. Yep. So, Trevor Simeon. Yeah. What What are your thoughts there? Do you think he's actually going to start the whole season? <sighs> I, I just want to say, firstly, I actually found him really difficult to rank. Because I was looking at these names and going, God, I really don't rate Trevor Simeon very highly at all, but is he better or worse than guys like Tom <laughs> Savage and... Uh, Brian Hoyer and Co. It's, it's it, I found this. I found him very, very difficult to rank. Um, so uh, how I would describe my ranking is he could be. I I could see an argument for him sitting anywhere in this group of eight, from twenty fifth to thirty two. I could see it any any one of those spots. Um, in answer to your question, if I were head coach of the Denver Broncos. I would probably be inclined to start Paxton Lynch. It's a real conundrum for Denver because they have that elite um, defense, but they don't have a quarterback to save themselves. So their offense isn't that bad on paper. I mean, you've got Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas. You know, those are two guys who are very, very, very solid receivers. You know, they're, they're not... You, you look at the rest of the guys that we've got in our bottom eight, quarterbacks, they don't... The Denver's got the best res, um, receivers out there, a lot of oh, those. Oh, by a mile. And Simeon still really couldn't get it done. Um, I, I have no confidence in Simeon. I've... There's something that just it does it doesn't quite fit. I mean, if he hadn't had the talent and he was still around him and he was still doing what he was doing last year, then I'd say, oh, okay, maybe there's something there that you can at least like try to work with. But the fact of the matter is, he had pretty decent, yeah, at least receiving aerial weapons around him, and he still was not getting it done. No, and that's the, I think that's the the concern because. As you say, all the other guys in this group, they just didn't have any talent to support them. Now, admittedly, their their own individual player wasn't that great, but they didn't they weren't getting any help from from their teammates. You look at Simeon's stats. As you say, he's got Emmanuel Sanders, he's got Demarius Thomas. This is his stat line from last year, Nads. Now, 
He started... Uh, he missed one game in week five and one game in week 13. So he's played 14 games. He had a pass completion percentage of 59.5. He had 3,400 yards, 18 touchdowns, 10 picks, 31 sacks. Yeah, because well, mediocrity, especially it is. given, given the, the amount of talent he's got. 100%. It's literally the definition of mediocrity. And that's why I think I found it so difficult to rank him. is because, you know, his stat line is probably better than some of these other guys. But then you've got to factor in the talent he's got compared to them. And then try and project that going forward. So, as I said, I could slot him in anywhere in this group of eight. But I think he's definitely deserving of being in this group of eight. No, for sure. I, th- I think he reminds me a lot of Jay Cutler without the, the high draft pick and the, the whining personality. <laughs> you know, he, he reminds me of a guy that's got a decent arm on him. Um, you think that he can probably deliver more um, and he cons you into that and then he really under, under delivers. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment. As I said, I don't know what the Broncos will do. I would probably run with Paxton Lynch, but maybe you give Simeon another crack for the first few weeks, and if he's not getting it done, um, then maybe you go in another direction. I do have reports coming out of Broncos OTAs, though, Nads, that Paxton Lynch has been brilliant so far. So read read into that what you will, um, but that's just the early word that's coming out of Denver. Well, I'd be worried if the quarterback play looks bad in OTAs because when it's seven on seven, yeah. there really shouldn't be a drop ball. No. A ball should not be hitting the ground. No. You're, you're spot on. So we've been waiting a couple of weeks for this, but it's back. It's time for the slam dunk. Yeah, Nads, look, it's it's a tough one because, you know, the off-season's in full swing. We've had the draft, um, and we're, we're kind of in that OTAs part where there's not a lot going on. So, you know, I'm a little bit short on ammunition this week on, on things that I can really take aim at. Um, so we've had to uh, do a little bit of digging, and I I saw a tweet uh, today from Daniel Jeremiah, at uh, MoveTheSticks on Twitter. I strongly suggest you follow if you if you guys aren't. Um, and he, he retweeted, well, when I say retweeted, he tweeted a quote uh, from an NFL executive. And the quote is, I think the Jets might have the worst roster I've seen in a decade. So I had a bit of a closer look at the Jets roster because I thought, you know, yeah, from what I could recall, it didn't seem that great. But I was like, geez, worse than a decade, worse than the Browns, really? Like, I thought that was a bit odd. So I did a bit of digging, Nads. And uh, before I get into the Jets roster, I just want to list some names for you, okay? And I want you to tell me what you think is in common with all of these names, okay? So, Nick Falk, Nick Mangold, Brandon Marshall, Darrell Revis, David Harris, and Eric Decker. What do you think is in common with all of them, Nads? Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> um, they used to be on the Jets last year. Correct. They all used to be members of the Jets roster at some point last year. Now... That's a lot of experience, and they're all gone. Eric Decker is technically still on the roster, but he's been told that he's going to be cut and or traded, whichever you know, whichever the, the Jets can find a, a suitor for. 
So the Jets are clearly in rebuilding mode. I think that's fair to say. Um, but I don't think they really thought this through, to be honest with you, Nats, because their roster is just garbage. I've looked at it now, and I think the executive might be right. The Jets may, in fact, have the worst roster in a decade of football. I think it is worse than the Browns. So I just want to run through, you know, you know me, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a quarterback guy. I, I like offense. I like to see high scoring. I like to see touchdowns. I like to see, you know, deep balls getting aired out all the time. I just want to run you through the offensive weaponry that this New York Jets juggernaut is going to roll with next season, okay? This is the team that's going to beat Tom Brady and the New England Patriots and take back that AFC uh, title, all right? This is, this is their, their offense. So, starting quarterback, we've got Josh McCown, who we just spoke about, is in the bottom eight in the league for both of us. And uh, he's going to be supported out of the backfield by a 70-year-old Matt Forte sharing duties with Bilal Powell. At uh, number one wide receiver, we've got the high, highly esteemed Quincy Nunwa, And he's supported by our Darius Stewart, who's a first-year rookie. Uh, and at the tight end position, just in case they needed a little bit more strength, we've got Austin Safarian Jenkins, uh, who, you know, probably a backup on just about every other roster. So that's the, the offensive juggernaut that is the New York Jets. And so I had a bit of a, a closer look at their defense. And then look, they've got a few names on their defense, you know, guys like Leonard Williams, uh, Sheldon Richardson. And uh, their best player on their whole roster, Jamal Adams, the guy they drafted just this year, which, you know what, New York Jets, I'm going to give you credit for that. You could have quite easily made an absolute meal out of that pick and done what the New York Jets have done for so long and drafted somebody they didn't need or shouldn't have drafted, but instead you took my best player in the draft. So commendment, I'll commend you for that. You got that one right. He's now your best player. But their roster stinks, Nads. You know the, the the analogy where people always say, oh, Alabama, they could beat the Browns. And I've always been a firm believer that if the Browns played Alabama, the Browns would wipe the floor with them. But now looking at this Jets roster, I'm really not sure. I think the Crimson Tide would give them a run for their money. Because this roster is just terrible. And to make matters worse for the Jets, if you think that the, you know, the offseason and the rebuild couldn't get any better... News has come out in the last couple of days, and there's video footage out there. It's easy to find on YouTube if you guys want to see it. Darren Lee, who was the first-round selection for the Jets last year. He's a linebacker out of Ohio State. Uh, there's footage of him getting involved in a little bit of an altercation, Nads, at, uh, at a concert uh, in the last couple of days. And it's not entirely clear what he's doing, but he seems to be either harassing a girl and or another person just a general altercation but it looks like it's about to get physical and it requires Leonard Williams who was the first round pick for the Jets in 2015 the year before to come over literally pick Darren Lee up and move him away from the situation to avoid what would have otherwise been an old, like a full-on fistfight it looked I don't know about you, Nads, but these are the two players, or two of the players, that this rebuild for the Jets is supposed to be centred around. Now, Leonard Williams doing the right thing for his teammate, taking him out of trouble, getting him out of danger, if you will. But what is going on with the Jets? It's just like they're falling apart. This is one of the you know, the most storied franchises in, in NFL history. Some of the great names that have played for the Jets, and they're now dealing with Josh McCown. 
I just, I, I, I don't get it. It's like they've gone, all right, we are so bad. We're literally just going to tank completely. 2017, not even going to try. We're going to take the first round pick and then we're going to waste it on a running back. I just, I, I can't, Nads. I can't deal with it. Um, if you're a Jets fan listening to this podcast, from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. Uh, I, I just, I don't know what to tell you. Um, other than to give you some consolation that I, I was a Colts fan who had to watch Curtis Painter play for us. So, I mean, there's some solace you can take out of it. But I wish all the Jets fans out there the best of luck for the 2017 season. It's, it's not going to be fun for you. I think the biggest issue um, with the Jets was that they thought the biggest the biggest problem um, was Rex and his foot fetish. Well, that's, hey, there's another thing. I saw an <laughs> article came out the other day that uh, Rex and Rob Ryan are hitting on a bachelorette party despite both of them being married. Um, and old mate Rex was up to his no good tricks, said something to a girl about her feet and told her that she knows what he likes. So it makes mean, your skin crawl. Yeah, old habits die hard, don't they, Nance? Oh yeah, but yeah, the the, the Jets organization right now seems pretty toxic, and I mean, Todd Bowles is going into his third year as coach, and they're further away than they ever possibly could be to contending for a for a, uh, even just a single win right now. Let alone let, let's not let's not talk playoffs, division division nah. winning. So well, let's let's look at it like this, Nance. There's always some silver linings to these things. So Jets fans, here's something you can take away. It can't get any worse. No, it definitely can't. And, you know, at the same time, they could probably be a really good team and they'll still be only a wildcard contender because you know that Brady has got the Patriots winning that division 99 times out of 99. Yep. Yep. Well, hang on. We, we might see a, a stage where, you know, the Jets' rebuild finishes in five years' time when Brady retires. So maybe that's what they're going for. Maybe they've accepted that. That's a pretty big gamble, but yeah, no, we'll, we'll wait and see on it. But you've definitely given them a good old roast, that's for sure. Well, that wraps up another episode of Any Given Monday. Great to be back, Dunks. Really been quite an enjoyable one. Yeah, lots of good content, Nads. I'm really enjoying these quarterback rankings. It's a lot harder than I thought, uh, to be honest with you. But So on our next episode, guys, we've got uh, the next eight quarterbacks. So that's number 24. Uh, through to number 17 uh, and we'll also be doing some more top five position previews as well we might look at the defensive side of the ball nuts yeah we'll, we'll probably we'll do a bit of um, the defensive side of the ball next week we'll look at some of the key positions there like the defensive backs and the linebackers and then what we'll do in the the weeks to come we'll look at the defensive and offensive lines and really get into um, some schematics there and um, who we rank in what type of schemes and um, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. No, it definitely will be good. Guys, make sure you follow us on Twitter. You can catch Nads at HB Nadoni, N-A-D-O-L-N-Y. You can catch me at DSong, S-O-A-N-G. And we'll have the uh, hashtag AskNads segment back next episode, so make sure you fire those questions through at us. Yes, definitely. Hashtag AskNads. Also, guys, for our main... For our main account, it's uh, on Twitter. We're at any given M O N P O D. Um, on Facebook, like us at any given Monday P O D. Uh, in the meantime, guys, take care. Hope you've had a great Memorial Day weekend. In the meantime, keep fighting for those inches. Bye.
matchup. 40. Oh, he's at the 25. Look at him go. 30. 25. He's at the 20. Gets a block. He's got it.